Welcome to the Tabletop Call-In Show Talk Show, where I, Adam Bell, and Jeremy Gage, I guess if I'm doing I, Adam Bell, where I, Adam Bell, and he, is it I and him? No. Where he, Jeremy Gage, I, I and, and I, Adam Bell, because <laughs> you got to put yourself second, because that's how English works. Welcome to the Tabletop Call-In Show, where he, Jeremy Gage, and I, Adam Bell, talk about <laughs> tabletop indie role-playing games, either ones that we've played, read, or made, or are making. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, this week, is you see the big thing down there where it says talk show? That means that it's just Jeremy and I blathering to each other uh, with no audiences calling in, despite the fact that it still says the Tabletop Call-In Show up there, and that's fine. Uh, but... Next week you can call in if that's what you're if that's what you're here looking for. Um, yeah, I'm Adam Bell. Like I said, you can find me on Twitter at Adam E Bell. You can get my games at adamebell.itch.io, aka adamebell.games. Uh, they're all on sale right now, so go and get them. Um, they're all. I think I put it at thirty five percent off, or you can get all of my currently paid games for twenty five bucks, uh, and that's a steal. If you ask me, it's a steal. Um, Jeremy, give me a give hey, me a pitch for what's you. What's up? What's up? All right, let's start the show. All right, you did it. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Gage. You can find me at Jeremy Gage Five over on Twitter. You can also listen to the Draw Your Dice podcast, uh, and also at Draw Your Dice Pod over on Twitter. Uh, podcast is wherever podcasts are sold, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Crazy Eddie's Podcast Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, currently working on my Final Fantasy Heartbreaker. I have no sales because I have no games. But hey, that could change very soon. It could. Yahtzee. It's exciting. There's a lot of Easter eggs in that sentence. Um, what is going on this week? Why don't we start with uh, what I said that we should talk about, which then I said I was going to get up on my screen so I could easily post links and then didn't do that. Uh, which is, uh, there were floods and big rain and stuff in like the Philippines and Malaysia in particular this past, for this weekend. What fucking day is it? Recently. So a lot of people's houses got flooded and, and other bad stuff. And some very cool designers are, um, doing things that will help with that. So, uh, first is there is a bundle um like i said i wanted to have this prepped but i don't let me do this i'm just gonna show it on my screen real quick so that you know what i'm talking about bam boom bop screen sharing no (laughs) don't look at that I thought I got my screens mixed up. Okay. Uh, bam, boom. We're doing it live. Screen sharing. There we go. The Malaysia Flood Relief 2021 bundle hosted by Aaron Lim, friend of the show. A uh, lot of good games in here, which doesn't matter because you should um, back it anyway. Uh, because, yeah, at $15 and above, you can get all these cool things. At 45 and above, you can get even more cool things. Uh, I haven't read all of these, but the ones that I know about uh, are great. And also, again, it doesn't matter. These could be blank PDFs. It's important to help out uh, because, you know, things are bad. <laughs> the other thing is Momatos uh, is doing a thing 
where I believe you get a postcard in the mail if you donate to this. Um, and then proceeds are going to be going to both the Philippines and to Malaysia disaster relief. So check those out. It's important. Um, yeah, back to the main show looks. Oh, we did it. We did it. Uh, support, support your fellow human all around the world. Not just the ones that you get books and stuff from. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but it's an easy way. It's an easy, like if you, you know, we're going to donate anyway, you know, you could get some books. Um, yeah. And that's great. Thank you to those, to all the creators involved for, you know, putting your stuff out there. I know that has a potential to take away sales or whatever, but, uh, yeah, it's important to help out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> I, I don't have to get into it. Go ahead. I was, was going to say, if, if 3 million people donate a dollar, that's $3 million. That'd be sick. So that that means there's two steps. One, we have to get this show to three million viewers. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and then we can use it like a laser to point money at things. Yeah. <laughs> God, I would love that. Uh huh. <laughs> money laser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like imagine rich villains. Imagine imagine me and fucking rich and not doing that all the time. Fuck off. Yeah. Truly, Bezos, I'm looking at you. I'm calling no. your ass out. Go ahead. Send Amazon this way and cancel this show. We will rise again. Shoot yourself into the sun, Bezos. Yeah, with your goddamn rocket ship. Yeah. What are you, a backyard it's a, guy? It's a fancy plane. He doesn't even have a rocket. That's what I'm saying. The... <laughs> we don't... We don't... You want to talk about some games? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Adam, what have, what have you played in these last two weeks? Um, well, two weeks. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I played, mm-hmm. uh, Court of Blades twice. Mm-hmm. Once, once as Court of Blades and once as a playtest for the tabletop story. Nope. What do I call it? For the tactical storytelling uh, engine. <laughs> I'm moving out. Teabag. Great. Don't want to oversteep. It is oversteeped already. Don't want to continue to <laughs> oversteep. <laughs> Um, yeah, I played Quarter Blades uh, first as a one shot just to get a feel for the system. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, it might be my new go to Forged in the Dark game because I like Royal Court stuff. Um, but it's not just Royal Court stuff because it's still like the, the funny, gritty uh, team full of creepos doing jobs <laughs> that you get out of Blades in the Dark. <laughs> Which I was a little bit surprised at at first. Like, I, I had backed the Kickstarter a while back, um, partially for research, because I've got, you know, Royal Court game in the works, as many of you may know. Um, and so I was like, Royal Court game, Forge in the Dark game, that checks two of my boxes. I don't need the rest of the pitch. <laughs> um, so then when I sat down to read it, I was, like, a little surprised, because the first thing I looked at was the... Did I t- I feel like I've talked about this already, but I don't care. I'm pushing through because maybe I didn't. The first thing that I looked at was the actions because uh, that to me is like the easiest way for Forge in the Dark game to let you know what it's about. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was surprised to see a lot of the like base Blades in the Dark ones um, mm-hmm. are, are still there. And then I was like, hang on, maybe that's a good thing. And so I read the rest of the pitch and 
um, or not the rest of the pitch, the rest of the game, <laughs> and learn that it's not just royal courts. You're actually lackeys of a of a big um, noble house, and so you're doing the dirty work for a noble house. So then it's like, oh, that's why we're doing the a lot of the normal stuff. We're still skulking, we're still hunting. Um, of course, we're still command consort and sway because I mean, mm-hmm. you got a lot of weird nobles to lie to. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's a good game. Um, it did a thing that I would recommend everybody who's designing games do, which is there's like a little one shot kit. So Jeremy, you know about you know about Forge in the Dark games and how they have crews and how if you do mm-hmm. a one shot of one of those games, it's kind of a pain in the ass because you don't want to neglect the crew mechanics because it's mm-hmm. pretty central, but you don't want to spend. 45 minutes creating a crew for a one shot. Cause that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What they've done is just provided like, here's the, the four, the six houses. Cause instead of crews, there's, there's houses. Um, mm-hmm. and each one has different goals or whatever. Here's six houses completely already filled out. And then also here's a starting job for each of them so that you could just start playing. You don't have to be like, okay, we've made a crew and now we're going to sit here and dither for, 45 minutes trying to figure out what this crew would do in a one shot. It's like, no house Lavelle is throwing a party and it's for you and you need to stop the assassin or stop the one house that isn't showing up from snubbing house Lavelle or stop the, the rabble rousers from getting in your choice. It's pretty good. Amazing. Yeah. And that has helped your own personal design. Yes. And no, um, so like I said, the second time I played, it was to play test the tactical storytelling engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went well, the players liked it. Uh, the system did exactly what I want, wanted it to do, but I didn't, I didn't love it. <laughs> I was like, okay, if this was ever going to pop off exactly right, like this is it. Um, but all I saw was like, yes, this worked exactly how I wanted it to. And that's it. I don't know. I kind of lost the spark to continue working on that. Uh, and so I'm going to stop. I think what I'm going to do is, like I said, it worked exactly how I wanted to. So I'm probably just going to release it onto itch as like a tech pack. Like here, if you want to put a grid in your forge in the dark games, it's here for you. It might still need some tweaking. I don't know. That's up to you, but it's, you know, you can have it. And you can use it, and you can let me know if it's good. <laughs> but for me, it kind of went back to, like, it took my brain back to running, like, games like 5e and stuff where there's a lot of tasks for the GM to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel a lot better GMing a game where the, where I don't have to touch the dice or any of that, because then I could just focus on the story and just focus on consequences. I don't have to switch mm-hmm. my brain into like, ooh, tactical mode, and then back out to, ooh, uh, you got stabbed. Ooh. <laughs> Every time you, anyone from now on, you have to do the Adam Bell, ooh, whenever ooh. you're switching mode of play. <laughs> and drink, everyone, uh, ooh, everyone roll initiative. Ooh, ooh, all right, combat's over. <laughs> uh, no, I, so two, two things. Mm-hmm. Three things I wrote down while you were talking Great. in reference to what you were talking about. Uh, one, you were talking about how 
the best way to look at a game or to, to find out sort of what a game is about as like its initial action thing, especially like Blade and the Dark stuff. Mm-hmm. I was reading this article about like a session zero. I'm constantly learning, always refashioning my session zeros. Um, slash session or um, group communication tools. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they brought up was look at what the game is asking a player to get invested in. And something I never really realized when I had played Blades in the Dark games, Forge in the Dark games, prior is, is traumas. Mm-hmm. And I get think off. when you're when get you the pitch the ga- <laughs> get off the table, come on. They're both doing it today, and I don't know why. <laughs> Go ahead. We're doing it live. Uh, something I never thought about is that like the game wants you to get stressed out. It wants you to get hurt Absolutely, physically yeah. and mentally, and it's like uh, it wants your character to get hurt physically and mentally. And I think when you do a session zero for like, hey, this game has a mechanic in it called traumas. If that's not something like we want to engage with or explore, or we need mm-hmm. some additional safety tools around, um, let's let's talk about that or not play this game because you would. There's there's a piece of it where like you would be doing the game a disservice, maybe not a disservice, but like because you're not like beholden to a game structure. Right, I guess is, is not a great way to put it. But, but you're you're gonna miss out a little bit on what the game has. Not well, I guess miss out is also not what I not what I want to yeah. say. But like <laughs> you're gonna kind of like not exactly get the full experience that the game wants you to have. Um, yeah, if you're like understandably kind of cutting out a certain mechanic. Uh, and mm-hmm. so maybe, maybe, yeah, definitely having that talk at the beginning to either change it or switch to a game that doesn't have it. I don't know. I guess, I guess, I would say if you have like good game design chops and you're running something, anything, and mm-hmm. you uh, you talk with your players like, hey, it's asking you to lean into this, and they say I don't want to lean into this, but I still want to play the system. And obviously, you can change it, right? What does what can trauma be instead? Because I know that part of the pacing system of the game is the stress mechanic and the trauma mm. and stuff like that. So reaches a finite point, right? Court of Blades swapped trauma out for scandals. So every time you fill up your stress, you get a scandal and people start talking. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty good <laughs> change on that. Uh, and you'll also miss that good XP. You're right. You're right, mm. John. You're right. It's tied to trauma. You get more XP for planning near traumas, which it asks you to do. So it's just yeah. something I never really thought about. Uh, and then the two other things when you were talking about, like it has a one shot built into it. You know, on on this show, we've talked about tutorials tons of times. Like what is the onboarding mm-hmm. process for a game? And there's also been like some Twitter conversations or Discord conversations lately that talked about like when you design a game and you're giving like an example session or how to put together like a tr- like a try the game out session think about mm-hmm. conventions and how you have the tightest two-hour window to like get your game off the ground and into play mode like how do you design all those rules uh and conventions to be parsable because you don't have four people who are coming to the table who've read the book. You're like playtesting something or like it's a game they've never experienced before. Uh, and, you know, I think I think it's behoovent to designers to think about like 
what is the smallest uh, version of a session? Mm-hmm. Like, how many scenes is that? Like, how do we get the most? How do we get the most heightened experience out of uh, this first initial play? Actually, um, I saw a tweet by Sean Tompkins, who is the writer for Iron Sworn slash the soon coming out Star Forged games, and. Uh, he had a tweet where I think he got a review and the reviewer talked about how dense the book was. There's a lot of stuff in the Ironsworn book, but the actual game, like the game of Ironsworn is maybe 50-ish pages, mm-hmm. all all like super margined and single columned and like... um. Uh, the rest of the book is like reference document. So like, if you need a table, flip to the back, get the table. If you need to learn like a quick bit about a monster, flip to the monster. If you're in a specific region, flip to the region. Like, none of it is needed to operate the game. A lot of like random tables do some of the heavy lifting for you. So, um, I find it interesting that, or I, I would find it uh, for me in my own designs. I would love to think more about like the tutorial session that yeah. you can easily parse out and have like I know that um in Band of Blades they have beginning adventures or beginning scenes for when you pick your chosen kind of like the set the tone for the rest of the game mm-hmm. uh and I like that I just wish it had a little bit more um specific mechanic things like how many clocks should this be or like there are a couple but it's like i just want a little bit like i can see behind the screen of the game i think is what i'm asking for like as a gm i want to see like behind the screen of the game tell me exactly like what's going on in this session or in this like tutorial adventure so that i can then extract from that future sessions as i come to grips with a game because i may also be learning a game from for the first time as the GM, right? Right. Those are the three things that I thought about. Oh, you're solving a stream stream problem. I'm also listening. I could do both. Heard. Heard. <laughs> Not as well as I could do one or the other, but <laughs> <laughs> Well while while that while you're doing that and parsing that information. Yeah. Uh everyone in the chat, it, I don't know if I don't know if I am choppy. No, so last last week, whenever I watched back, whenever I like downloaded the VOD to put on YouTube and the podcast feed, it mm-hmm. was like pause. It. We were pausing. The audio was great, but we would pause like every ten seconds, video wise, oh, right. and it was like annoying to, for for me at least to watch. I don't know, not everybody <laughs> Heard. else. Heard. Cool, cool, cool. As long as people can hear. Yeah, the, uh, the audio is fine, and you sound fine today, from my end. Thank you. Do I yeah. not usually? Well, you know what I mean? Are you lying to me? I'm switching the Reading latency the mode, which I think might help. Um, but it makes the chat more delayed. I don't know if that'll help uh, with this stream, but we'll figure this out. I don't need to do this yeah. live. Hopefully no. it's okay <laughs> for, for everybody. Heard. Thank you. I just um, find the video is just a little jumpy. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. And, and Dice Ghosts. And fictive, fictive, fun. Hello, hi, hi, uh, hi. hi. Hello, everyone, for being here, especially our our some of our first time viewers. So yeah. great. Uh, 
<laughs> quick shout out just because uh, I really like Kyle's stuff. Kyle Latino uh, does a YouTube channel called Macro, which has some really awesome, like, how to create a dungeon analysis, has really amazing art going on on the channel. Um, also uh, has some really like good GM tips, dungeon design stuff, tons of things, and has like a really amazing, uh, I mean, from my perspective, like art-centered uh, Discord, but they talk about game design and RPG stuff as well. So uh, please uh, give Kyle a, a hello for coming in here and continue to make amazing stuff, Kyle. Uh, I've learned a lot watching your video. Cool. I'll have to watch something like that. Some of that. Yeah. Something like that? What am I saying? I'll have to watch some of that. That sounds that sounds right. <laughs> watch some of that. Have you played this? Uh I have. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, one uh, thing that one thing that popped into my mind real quick as a brief aside is that yeah. you know, you're talking about the convention uh twenty two hour thing. Mm-hmm. If if you're interested in a ten minute thing, viewer, Ooh. Stay tuned for the uh, the bonus show this not this month. Wow, you're gonna have to wait a while for what I'm teasing. January thirty first. <laughs> if you want to hear ten minute pitches, <laughs> ignore that. I'll tease that later. <laughs> Time is fake. I thought for sure that was like real soon, but it's the hot six, seat, six weeks from now. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so like <sighs> tutorial adventure stuff, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think it just I think it's important. I think tutorial onboarding in game design is wicked important, and you know I think a lot about how there's a lot of heavy lifting that GMs and players have to do when it you know the obvious uh, punch down is D and D, but like there's even some like OSR games that you need to have like a good brevity of. Um, like creative juice flowing mm-hmm. to kind of like make those operate because it's all it's all very like player skill like negotiation based stuff, right? Which includes um, the GM. Yeah, exactly. And I was reading what was I reading? Index card RPG. I think Index Card RPG has amazing like GM knowledge inside of it. Mm. Uh, I highly, highly uh, GMBT Tankstein. Uh, has amazing like advice and like plug and play rules you can throw on top of other like, traditional adventure uh, games and even probably some OSR concepts as well. But I highly recommend if no one's picked it up, they actually just uh, Runehammer Hank, I think is his name, uh, just put out the Master Edition, which combines the first edition, the second edition, and a lot of supplemental materials all into like one cohesive. Uh, book slash PDF ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, Dice Ghost. I know that I've talked about this before for sure about like video game tutorials and how they teach you how to operate all the buttons. Like I just love something that teaches someone the mechanics like in the first thirty ish minutes, and yeah. then like also helps you run an adventure for the next hour and a half. I mm-hmm. think it'd be fucking sick. Yeah, I need to I need to think about that kind of stuff for well cuz Segway, huh? I'm working on now that I've abandoned the grid, I went back to working on the sci-fi game that it sprouted from. Um 
which means I'm working on like a, I mean, I'm not going to call it a trad game, but like <laughs> a game with a GM that you would play a campaign of, which means of course that there's going to be more mechanics than usually I do. And then also I should create a tutorial like we're talking about. So how would you do that? Like, what's the, how do you do that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait, Okay. Uh, there's this fun theory crap let's let's use the world's only role-playing game D because mm. it's a to? good place let yes <laughs> yes we do, do or we... i guess we could do we do blades in the blades in the dark maybe i don't think the only reason i didn't go right to blades in the dark is because the you know you know how i feel about the character sheets they don't put some of the most important parts on the character sheet and so there is no way for you to remember how to do the thing which thing? Like, like resistance rolls mm. are not on the character sheet. Flashbacks are not on the character sheet. Mm. Like, and if they're not on the character sheet and the person didn't read the book, mm-hmm. when do they remember about them? The GM has to remind you, and the GM yeah. needs like the reference documents and stuff. So it's just one of those things where like, it has to be on the sheet. Uh huh. Is part of it. It is on the, the. There is. There is a like a, a rules reference sheet that it's all on. I know, but who's like flipping between multiple pages, dude? I like to put rules. Re- I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you can only fit so much on a sheet. I tried it for Dungeon World, and I found it annoying to like flip between all the moves and then like, oh, character yeah. special moves and stuff like that. Uh, but, but I guess that might be just a me problem. But like one, I mean, it's it's easier if you're playing in person, I would say, because then it's just all on your table, and you'd be like, "Hey, that's true." Yeah, it's all out on the table. I guess like, I am thinking sort of like as an online space yeah, sort of the, thing. The online reference space is a mess uh, for me personally. Like, you need to, we need to rethink all of that. That's <laughs> we need tool tips. We need uh, pop out windows. We need hover technology. Mm-hmm. Easy, easy and smooth zooming in and out. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're working on it. We're no, not working. We're not working on it. But somebody, <laughs> should, somebody should be. <laughs> yeah. Rule twenty eight cut it for referencing rules. It's a roll twenty, not rule twenty. You know what I mean? No, the roll app. Mm. Oh, rule twenty. You're right. I see. We were in two different headspaces. That's roll, that not rule. <laughs> Roll um, anyway. So I'm gonna use I'm gonna use D and D just because it's the most familiar that I am. Like I can, it's like a race car I can pick up again and again. Uh-huh. I can get into mm-hmm. uh, and soup it up and change it as I need. But it's yeah. like one of those things. Like okay, like you uh, some things that like conditions, right? Like conditions are things that are really talked about and then get put into oral, uh, fucking oral tradition like they just say, get talked about and they don't really know what's going on there when you say conditions uh, that things like grappled grappled but even more so like heavily obscured right like <laughs> excuse me <laughs> being in darkness and not having dark mm. vision or mm. being in darkness and having dark vision invisible uh, petrified so I imagine, like Prone. yeah making skill checks making attack rolls and like dummies or some ish like that i guess goblins like talking about action economy might even be worthwhile because it'd be easier if if it was something that was like taught mm-hmm. in the game or mm-hmm. in an adventure 
I think then players would be able to make more educated decisions about like how difficult something is in the game, right? Like they'd be like, oh, there are 20 goblins. Goblins are easy, but they get 20 turns, dude. <laughs> Before you get your five turns, they could wreck you. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's like something to consider. Um, something like, uh, you know, opening up or right. I like the work from backwards kind of beginning adventure. Like the team has already gone inside the dungeon and met little resistance and now they have to get their loot out. They've already mm -hmm. got the loot, like an in media res thing. Uh, so they kind of work backwards. All these, all the traps are designed for when someone gets the treasure and then people come in after. It's sort of like a, uh, almost like a meat grinder cave kind of situation. We're like we let adventurers in, we don't let them out sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, Which yeah, also yeah. then teaches that the world is thinking about the adventurers, which is interesting. Uh, especially if there are specific trap boxes designed for them. Uh, and, you know, we're doing, we're doing things with like traps. We're talking about like active perception versus passive perception. Uh, you know, you could have like adventurers walk into a room and check their characters and be like, oh, hey, um, uh, John, your passive perception for your cleric is fucking 16. You notice this, these sets of like metal spikes that are in like these holes that are in the ceiling or something like that. It's like, oh, wow, passive perception. I didn't know that was a thing. Hmm. Uh, and then maybe someone wants to get into it. It's cool. Make me an investigation or perception check, right? make their role this is the difference between active and passive settings in the game uh you know I then we can three. talk huh you rolled a three <laughs> I, I i don't see the holes that you're talking about <laughs> whoa whoa <laughs> <laughs> i don't see it. uh and you know just just stuff like that like just going over sort of like the major user mechanics of the game mm -hmm. that are also and when I say major used mechanics, I mean like turn order and initiative and mm -hmm. action economy are used mechanics yeah. that are not talked about. They're action... just sort of like, these are your resources, but it's more than that, right? Action economy. Action economy. Wow, I clipped a lot on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to the viewers. Uh, action economy is definitely something that 5e just doesn't tell you about. You just have all these abilities that are like bonus action and free action and action and attack. And, and it's just like if you had like that is one thing that could be probably easily condensed into like a quarter page that everybody can have. Mm -hmm. And that during this tutorial adventure, you just go, ah, see, it's right there, right on the button is here. Hit, the, hit it there. Um, but instead, it just feels feels like there's a lot of um, miss understanding of all of that even from me playing like as a player where i'm just like what i just attack right that's all i can do whereas if it was like hey you could grab the guy <laughs> <laughs> it could you... be one of those things where like you fight on a bridge and like the orc is trying to grapple and push you off yeah and then you know oh can i do the same to the orc right <clears throat> it's like that sort of stuff mm. yeah uh, what else what else did I think about? I mean, if you did like a really on rails for any game, 
I can we can yeah. zoom out of of D and D, but just like a really on rails adventure, you could do something like this. That's like mm-hmm. basically like you could even you could even go so far as to say, okay, for the first like ten minutes, like we're you're in character, but not like really. <laughs> like we can walk this mm-hmm. back if it has an outcome that doesn't make sense for you. And then you mm. just like right, yeah, yeah. The GM has kind of a script, and then the player has kind of a script where it's like, do this thing, like say that you're, say that you're doing, say that you're resisting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or it could say like, yeah, use do an do an action roll, uh, and then s- normally you would roll, but for this instance, set set your dice to a one and a two. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the, the next thing could be like, you know, say that you resisted that. And then, you know, roll a die and take that much stress minus six. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, at the end and of yeah, it, be I like, love... do we want to do we want to pick up from here or do we want to go back to the beginning of that? And then you can make the actions that you you want to do. Yeah. 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 I think oh, that's good. Like, I forgot that you mentioned that you did mention this before about how, like, it should be OK in like this tutorial adventure to like walk it back and retcon something in that. Here's the example of like where you would fail in this or or succeed or whatever, Mm -hmm. but go back. Do you want to do it your own unique way and like go from the random outcome or something like that? Like just these kind of like pocket scenarios that which I think is very, uh, very fascinating. And also thinking about it again, I think what that also says is like kind of fun at the table first. I mean, there'll be a total spectrum of opinions between like having fun at the table versus don't break my immersion, bro. Uh, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it also puts into the space of like, Hey, if you, if you didn't have fun finding, finding this like set of results out or like something that you can always walk it back station, like what that means for everyone at Mm -hmm. the table, how we come to a compromise in that space and like just some facilitation tech, uh, that could also be worked into tutorial adventures, which I think is very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing you could do with that is like, if you're insisting that failures happen as a part of the tutorial, you can then also hand the GM, like here are the consequences that you should apply in this tutorial and mm-hmm. like try to show them that they can think really outside of the box with it. Like you can do, um, you know, a failure doesn't necessarily mean oops, didn't happen. It might mean, it happened, but it shouldn't have. <laughs> you shouldn't have yeah. done that. It might mean yeah. you tried to make it happen, but there's this whole other thing that was, you know, you didn't notice or like that that you didn't consider. Or it might mm-hmm. mean you did it and then also it was magic locked and you got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goofy, you get polymorphed into a sheep, dude. Uh, but something I didn't realize, like for Blades in the Dark is a perfect example as a GM and how the game doesn't really like give you the like it has all those potential consequences but doesn't really tell you how to like offload consequences and my blades in the dark games ended up being wicked deadly because a we play a very like long zoom in version of blades in the darks typically all my tables don't do like what John Harper intends the game to do, which is like four or five rolls and you should be done. That's it's nice. like we, every minute action gets played out and that's like a remnant of D&D stuff. Yeah, for sure. But I, it wasn't until I read an article that was like, hey, you don't always have to give them harm. Think of the clocks also oh, as yeah. help. And like, 
I was not good at like offloading consequence into the clocks and like changing the narrative in that way. Mm. And so I, they would constantly be at like five stress and fucking have level two harms or shit like that. They just do <laughs> the wall crazy D and D stuff. And right. it's like, and don't really like use their items. Don't really use like their resistance rolls. Don't use armor. Right. Like, which, which is a huge part of the game. Yeah. They should be using um, all of that. But they're all you know, that. no none of this tutorial adventure to show them what it means. Hmm? And so then it's just like, well, I don't know what to do. Because there have been times where I like as somebody who has read Blades in the Dark and feels like I get it. There have been times where I hop into a game as a player and I start doing stuff like that and it kinda like sparks a little bit more from my fellow players where I'm like, hang on, I'm pretty sure there's one of these items that uh I can Mm-hmm. fucking lie to you and say that I'm using this way and it definitely <laughs> works that way and then it does I feel it's the cat bag or I always anytime I'm in a new group I always try to do a flashback as soon as I can just to remind people like mm-hmm. we, can, we can and should think about the past in fact you have to <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. a heist game without the flashback right I um, actually bought the perfect item for this I actually did <laughs> I saw ghosts yeah. coming. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I have a demon bane charm. Yeah. It's whatever. Uh, see, Framen says, like Dice Souls. I have not had the opportunity to uh, deep dive into Dice Souls, and I'm going to assume yes. Uh, <laughs> Same, I did yeah, have I'm, an I'm just waiting until the whole thing's About out. Dice Souls a little bit, uh, but that was a while ago, and I'm sure there's more. That was the quick start. Mm-hmm. So. I think you can retcon things because basically the game has you kind of like start over again because it's off of Dark Souls. So I'm making assumptions here. Um, you die. And I've not played the solo trials in ICRPG. I've not played any ICRPG. It's mostly been like, ooh, I would love to like take some of these concepts. Like Umbral Dive is doing a lot with time uh, in rounds and stuff like that. And... Uh, ICRPG has a lot of like time manipulation uh, tech. Like, roll a d4, every number, d4 number rounds, these like shadows from the rafter come out and try to grab you or that. And you'd like do that on the spot. Or you can also do it in prep. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Blades can be, can be a big book to like try to take in just uh, on fictive funds. Uh, comment. When I first read Blades, I was like, what? <laughs> but I was coming off of D&D. There's part of that reason. Uh, and I'm a better game reader now than I was then. You can practice being a good reader. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking about stuff right now. Yeah. Uh, it's an I- There was an idea that I had yesterday for this, this sci-fi game, Project Axial Tilt. I don't have a name for it yet. I just have a project sure. name, um, which kind of relates back to your like, you know, at the beginning of doing blades, you didn't think about doing other consequences. It was just mm-hmm. harm, harm and stress and harm and stress. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking for Project Axial Tilt, which for the viewer who doesn't know, uh, has currently like stats as health, essentially. Uh, and so like, like taking damage is losing stats, making your stats worse until later you go and recharge them. Mm-hmm. 
And one thing I was thinking of is, like, instead of making GMs decide, oh, harm or consequence, what if I just made them do both? What if if you fail a roll or get a mixed success, um, basically, like, you... The GM describes a consequence, you know, has it play out in the fiction, and then also tells you which of the four categories of harm that there are in this game that it is. So, like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you tried, you totally tried to lie to, you know, this, uh, the mayor. (laughs) You tried to lie to the mayor, uh, and it didn't, like, the mayor didn't buy it. The mayor sees right through you. People are trying to lie to this mayor every day of every week, and they're savvy to it now because you failed your role. So you you don't get it. Like you you know the mayor is on to you and starts like rebutting you and ask pushing you on why you know what why are you lying to me? Tell me the truth. Tell me what you tell me what you're here. Why you're here and what you want. You take one social harm. So you do both. Because I kind of I'm wondering if that can play into or play away from the inclination to just give harm as a consequence because it's just a the the harm itself is a side effect of the actual consequence that then just gets mechanized onto your sheet. Well, hmm. other games that I know that. Uh, engage in stats as HP. It, one is Numenera uh, mm. slash the Cipher system. They use you have um, might, speed. I don't know what the mind one was. It might be <laughs> intellect. I'm not sure. Uh, but whenever you take uh, damage, it goes to one of those three stats. Mm-hmm. So you essentially make up your health, and it ultimately uh, it affects the roll of that stat as well. I think the other, so, so my my vote is always towards like player facing choices sort of things. Um, in there is one version of Umbral Dive where I let the players pick like where their resources were depleted in terms because I had a couple different health pools. I think you remember I had Grip and Guard. Grip and Guard. Uh, grip and Guard, and basically each one had its own consequence and different depending on the class. So like Mm -hmm. if your guard was depleted all the way, you became vulnerable. If your grip was depleted all the way, you became weakened, which like decreased your offense or decreased your defense uh, anti-respectively, reverse respectively. Uh, uh, And so that's, that's one thing is like, you could, you could have, you could do a version of GMing Mm -hmm. where you describe the the effect, right? The cause of engaging with this and be like, the mayor is mad and distrustful of you and does X, like rebuttals you, right? Then you could let the uh, player potentially decide like, oh, I want to, um, I want to take that in this because this is how I respond. Like, this is how I respond on the back. But it's like, what is the character's response to the consequence? Mm-hmm. And that could be the damage. Um, and that also depends, though, if you're using, if you're using these stats for, like, I don't know, rollable systems, right? If they're in relation to dice rolls or card pulls or something like that. I think what it also prevents is, like, 
as long as there's a consequence for a zero in a stat, I think it prevents people like offloading into a stat they don't like. So like, let's imagine I have four, the four stats. My highest one is social. I want to keep my social high because I like my social roles, but that means some other stat is low. And mm -hmm. I choose to like put it in my, you know, I don't know all the stats in your game, but might, right? And like, oh, I'm I'm weaker now, but I'm also closer to my zero consequence. So it's this interesting push and pull of like, well, at some point I'm going to have to make my social weaker. And what does that look like, right? Is it that I just have, I'm kind of like being an asshole today uh is it that like i have a grimace on my face or i can't like you know i can't put on my customer service voice or something like that today right yeah those are my those are my thoughts here let me let me share the the stat snippet so that i can better explain because i think that your thoughts i think i agree with a lot of your thoughts but also there's a little more that i haven't explained which is, sure. uh, let me know when you can, uh, you have the stream up, I think. I see it. Okay, great. So these are the, these are the four categories of stats, uh, social, physical, experiential, and weird. Mm -hmm. Um, the social stats. So, so the, each category is also, also sets a difficulty, um, for dice rolls. Mm -hmm. So your socials like right now, I don't, I haven't figured out numbers yet. I'm, I've been trying to do dice math all morning and it's. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> it's a struggle. But yeah, so we'll say right now, like it, it's your experiential is at difficulty two. All the other ones are at difficulty one. Um, and then the dotted line, dotted circles mean you don't have that. The filled in circles mm -hmm. mean you have access to it. And then the not filled in, but not dotted circles are things that you've lost. So this character, let's just only focus on social. Um, and let's make the difficulty two, because why not? that feels more real um so yeah this character has difficulty two social and then two and converse one and listen one and guide well mm -hmm. this is all this is why i'm struggling with the dice math is because this is hard to think about actually <laughs> we're gonna say we're gonna say two and listen and then one and guide because they lost one so if sure. you were to take social harm you could either mm -hmm. um you can either increase your social difficulty so fill this in that's that's mm -hmm. harm uh and what that makes is every social rule that you do coming forward is one harder mm -hmm. um or you can decrease one of the stats okay okay so, like clear that out and that's that one is player choice if the gm tells you you're taking social harm you either add to the difficulty or subtract from a stat um and the reason that's a different choice is because the difficulties, like, whenever you have something that is difficult for a social reason, that does not mean you have to use a social stat. You mm -hmm. can surmise, which is an experiential stat, in a social setting, right? Mm -hmm. So increasing your social difficulty might make a future surmise more difficult. Um, but, you know, maybe you just avoid social activity until you reset that and bring it back down to base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's... So what's interesting, and I don't know if you've uh, contextualized in this way, but it feels like the categories are external causes for difficulty, mm -hmm. and then the actions are internal causes or contextuals for difficulty, right? Like, for sure, if yeah. I take If I take harm in my action, then uh, it's a problem with me. Like, the consequence relies on something I'm feeling inside or something 
happens to me. Yeah. Whereas, like, you could then parse the category to be external and is like, oh, uh, physical difficulty goes up and that is represented by, like, a rainstorm coming in. It makes scaling right. this thing harder or something, right? So, like, I would find it interesting that you write some rule tidbits in, like, that fashion as well because I think that would translate to me the the part the parsing of difficulty versus like dice i can roll mm. right so if i take a damage and traverse i sprained my ankle or my leg is broken because i only have one. like the closer it is to zero the more severe the narrative context is right could also right. be a way to to phrase all of that yeah yeah so like the the back to the that idea that i was thinking about is and then i have thing things that you were saying made me think of yet another thing <laughs> so like if if the gm is yeah if the gm is imposing um like a social consequence should it just be that they tell you like that's social harm um mm-hmm. or funny other way so that that was my first idea and then you started talking about like player choice and all that which then made me think well there is player choice but not quite in the way you're saying blah 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 so that's why i explained the whole thing the other thing that i'm thinking now is what if we kind of remove harm a little bit more um and make it so like this could taking harm in the way that i just described is like resisting consequence like you do in Mm. blades so Mm -hmm. like if i give you a social consequence you can say no i don't want that and to do that, I'm going to, like, take a social harm, like I just said. Ooh. So, like, I am avoiding this consequence, By but as such, yeah, as such, all future social rules are going to be harder. Or, as such, like, I'm going to feel a little bit weird about conversing for a little while. Yeah. You have to tell C or something. I like that. I think that's a good angle as well. And yeah. again, it's still that external versus internal. Mm. Right, all that, all, that. all that stuff is still true. You just are actively choosing when to make this worse for yourself in the mm-hmm. future by like mm-hmm. sacrificing it for a result now, which makes uh, the dice math easier for me also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam is our, is our DYD local mathematician. One of three so far with Clove and BLG <laughs> also being a part of that club. If anyone else wants to be a DYD mathematician, show me that you can do, you can operate any dice at a, past you that's beyond output roll 3d6 <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't fucking get it dude and if you can so if we want to go a little bit into uh this dice math if you are out there and listening and can tell me how to count doubles and triples of results in any dice i would love to hear that instead of me having to do it manually because the dice mechanic is the, uh, it's taking from my mechanic from Uneasy Lies the Head, which is your stats. So all these actions are going to give you the number of dice you roll, and then you can get extra dice from other mechanics that I haven't quite worked mm-hmm. out yet. And then the difficulty chosen will be how many unique dice face, unique die faces you'll need. So if the mm-hmm. difficulty is two and you're rolling two dice, you need two unique die faces. So what what so what you're looking for is what is the probability that mm-hmm. x amount of dice bring up 
unique face results. Right. From like one to six, probably. So on on how how likely is it? I can do the how likely is it for six dice to be six different results? I mm-hmm. can't quite easily figure out how to do. How likely is it for six dice resu- six dice rolled to have three faces? <laughs> <laughs> which is in- which is also interesting. So then, so then if you have this is maybe the contextual of the dice math. Wouldn't it then be, how do you succeed? Is it that you need fewer dice faces or more dice? More dice faces. You want more unique. So anytime a die is the same as another die, it's like it never existed, right? Mm-hmm. You need unique sure. unique results. Um, so then doesn't that mean that having more dice is bad? No, more dice is good. Because there's no penalty for getting doubles. It just... Like, there, there's nothing wrong with getting three ones and a two if you're trying to get two unique die faces. It's a little sad, because you could have had four on four dice. But more dice gives you, like, more opportunity to get different ones. If that makes sense. Is it that... So, in that example you just gave me where it's three ones and a two, do do all the ones count as one unique face? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, they don't they don't cancel each other. Cool, cool. You said something along that lines, maybe think So then it's bad to have more dice. I would roll like two <laughs> dice maximum all the time. Right. I would constantly take damage in my shit. <laughs> uh interesting. That's cool. I like the unique face uh aspect. Well, maybe um I for for I'm maybe in like the last five minutes here. Uh Oh, BLG figured out your dice math in the chat. <laughs> right. So, like, that that branching path is where it starts to get complicated. Because I was trying to, uh, I'm trying to calculate it out for each. Here we go. Let's let's go back to the screen share. I'm pretty sure I have my. <laughs> this is what this shows today. Uh, sorry to the audio viewers. But yeah, you'll, it's you'll be a nice fine. Map day. So <laughs> I'll read. I'll read what I'll read what BLG is saying for the podcasters who will come later. Mm-hmm. So uh, BLG, who is Brandon Leon Gambetta, writer of Passion de Passiones, uh, and is a prolific game designer, uh, has stated, "Ooh, right, this one. So if you roll X dice, you'll get Y unique face results. That's an interesting little math problem. So the first dice is a success." The second dice has a five, five out of six chance of being a success. There's a way better way. Cause third <laughs> die D three has a five out of six chance of being a success. If die two was a failure, but a four out of six, if die two was a success, was a success. Mm-hmm. So that's for the people who are listening. If they also wanted to be like, what is the math for unique faces? <laughs> what I is what is the math? So yeah, here's what I'm trying to make is I've got number of, on the top, number of outcomes for unique of unique numbers, uh, and then dice rolled. And then on the, on the right side here, I have total outcomes. So obviously one die, you can never get two, three, four, five, or six. So that's what all these, uh, blacked out are, uh, one die. There's six different outcomes where you can roll a unique number. Uh, and there are six, 
six total outcomes. So 100% chance you're going to succeed on a one, or you're going to get one with one die. That's obvious. Two dice. Again, pretty easy. There are six unique outcomes, one through six, where both all the dice are the same. Uh, and then 30, where all where both dice are different. Easy. Uh, down here is just calculating the percent based on the top table. Three dice also was kind of easy because there are six. Again, there's always six out total outcomes for one face. And then, you know, again, like it's pretty easy to get how many outcomes when they're all separate. Uh, so there's 60, there's six, and then I was able to simply <laughs> subtract to get 150. <laughs> that falls apart when you get to four dice. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I know that much. <laughs> Whose brain is melting? It's not mine, but if anyone in chat, just give me, just throw up twos if your brain is melting at dice. <laughs> so I think following BLG's thing and like what I was also thinking of, to, to figure out two on four, the first one is one, uh, you know, 100% success on the first die. The second die, if we want to make it different, five out of six. So we got a six out of six, we've got a five out of six, and then the next two have to be different from that so i guess those are going to be or no so six out of six and then one out of six and then the next two are going to be five out of six because they have to just not be that first value or they can be that first value because three of them could be the same and then one different so i guess oh boy <laughs> so the the 100 chance my brain melts i love <laughs> so the scenarios uh, says factorials could work here yeah Kind of, yes. They definitely can. But also, it's hard. Because, <laughs> the okay, so the scenarios for two are three dice come up, one number, the other die comes off, the other number, or two dice come up, one number, the other two come off, the other two. I think that helps me a little bit. <laughs> Bill G, if you figure this out, I could even, I mean, message me and I can share this document. <laughs> You don't have everyone, to. Everyone, everyone um, to the DYD Tower. BLG yeah. Adam, just continue the talk show <laughs> <laughs> with math. I love it. I'm here for it. This yeah. is prime time. If you're a podcast listener and you can't see this amazing work that Adam has done in this Google Sheet, uh, that's why you got to come to twitch.tv slash Adam E. Bell and watch the Oops. BOD. Didn't mean to share that. Let me get off of screen sharing because I'm allergic to doing it. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Don't let me do live design. Uh, my scenes are all in, out of order, and it's kind of funny. Okay, so that's that's what's been on my mind. Did what we talked about help? Al? Yes. Okay, great. Devin's in the chat. Hi, Devin. Thanks for joining. I think somebody else. Yeah, okay. Uh, let me just catch up on the chat real quick. Uh, first time chat viewer, the Feisty Taco. Hey, hi, Michael. That's a friend of mine from when I lived in Wisconsin. Oh, I haven't, hi. I've only interacted online recently, not, you know, for real, and it's nice. Uh, have you ever played CK2? I assume Crusader Kings 2. Not a tabletop game, but they have some interesting ways of doing consequences. If you want to avoid a situation, you have to take on stress, which can lead to essentially unhealthy coping mechanisms. I have not played Crusader Kings 2. I've done, I've dabbled in Crusader Kings 3, um, but I did, but I do like that of, you know, taking on stress, because I think there are 
that definitely opens up opportunities outside of the forge in the dark stress zone where like stress doesn't necessarily have to be something that fills up and then gives you a thing and then fills up and then gives you a thing. It could be something that just accumulates <laughs> over time. And then you start taking coping mechanisms. I don't know. That's something to think about. Uh, Devin has a dice question conundrum. I'm working on a new game, rolling a bunch of D. How many D6s is too much to roll for one thing? <laughs> my well, a- my answer is it depends on the game design. And right. I think that any amount of too many dices is one where failure is not, or, or scene tension is not an option. I, I shouldn't say failure. I shouldn't say that they always have an option to fail, especially if your game is like, always about succeeding in different ways like power fan stuff but mm-hmm. i think that it's when the too many dice is when it doesn't create an interesting result right so like if you rolled 4d20 took the highest for all of your skill checks there's a really good chance you succeed most of the time <laughs> in a pass fail binary system so like why would you why would you do that two dice is fine because you can still get like some weird combos there or the flip side is also true like disadvantage is a really good chance to fail i mean mm-hmm. probability etc cetera, etc cetera, percentages blah 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 blah. but like in uh in blades in the dark i know that for the math of that game once you get beyond 5d6 every like dice enhancing ability you could take has diminishing return because you're almost you're most generally guaranteed at least a, a6 on 5d6 most of the time i mean you know again probability thing but like the math of it works out to be that like you're you have you stand a really good chance of d6 are you gonna roll five d6 right now and see if you get a six i saw you grab (laughs) mad at you (laughs) i got a six it was guaranteed (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here jeremy gage mathematician i'm giving myself the roll it happened again wow dice don't the dice doesn't don't the math the math is real. The math uh, is real. Yeah, I would think how many D6s is too much. It really depends on what you're doing. So you followed up, Devin followed up with it's a hit or miss thing. More misses is bad. So big pulls are risky. Um, I think that's good because it already mm. is self-limiting. If you're, as long as you're not summing the numbers. <laughs> summing the that's numbers. That's also something to consider, yeah. Summing the numbers, I think three or four is too many. Counting how many sixes you got versus how many ones you got. I, however many dice you have, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, it comes into, it comes into the stats for sure, like you were saying, Jeremy. Where, um, yeah, it's just how many until it's like not useful anymore to add. Yeah. So for something like that, um, I don't know. <laughs> There's no 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 hard and fast number, but I definitely think. 10 20 40 i don't <laughs> how many can you also like how many can you hold in your hand how many rolls do you have to make to all your right i think there is something to say did you try to roll for six <laughs> cut another one <laughs> i'm telling it's like an it's like a not like a 90 94 chance you're going to get a six on five dice mm-hmm. and then every additional dice only changes it by like one percent or something like that so it's not worth it I guess it is five out of... Well, I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm not going to do the math. <laughs> John already did it. You can go look for the Reddit thing. Uh, but, 
Yeah, if it's just counting successes, then then it deterrent like depending yes. on where your success at, right? So like if you're saying that every dice that's four and above, like a fifty percent chance on D six. Like we just talked about, five dice almost guarantees you a six, so then how many more guarantees is that of four and five, right? And if you're also using failure stuff, then I think the math is way different. Like if you're counting every dice that is a failure and like maybe it's canceling out successes or something, like the math on that is is bonkers crazy. And then that mm-hmm. I think that mostly determines around your target number. So like again, in that same example, if your dice are 50-50, four, five, six is success, one, two, three is failure then like equal chance to cancel each other out on most rolls does that i'm making that up kind <laughs> of <laughs> that's just what my gut is telling me you have a pool uh the core idea is that you have a pool of seven dice and you split it between active action and resistance then there are a bunch of bonuses you can add based on stats and abilities i think uh, hover, hovering around seven for the for what you've described i think that yeah. sounds great yes yeah. Because it's, it's super easy to be like, I'm looking at my uh, five to ten dice that I've rolled, and I'm going to put, I can easily put the, you know, the successes in this pile, the, the failures in that pile, and then count. Uh, that's that's plan- that's a good number. Uh-oh, what do we got? We've got some live... Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see this is my Shadowrun box. I've I've played Shadowrun one time at an FLGS. Worst mm. gameplay experience of my life. <laughs> it made was me it... never want to go to a, an a, FLGS a ever again. Mm. Yeah, sometimes uh, I'm thinking that that might not have been an FLGS. A lot of times they're not. Yeah. They don't have that friendly. They, they didn't earn that friendly tag. I'll say if someone can remember and you want to ask that question for the tabletop call-in show next week, uh, feel free to ask and I'll talk about that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And how I discovered that that is when I truly wanted to be the forever GM (laughs) because I needed to show the world that there can be nice, nice ones, nice and prepared ones. Mm -hmm. Let's see. I got, I got. My God, look at how many dice you're dealing with. I'm just I'm just getting all out of I think this is like a pack of 30. I got seven sixes. I don't know why I did that. I don't know what the purpose of rolling these Anyway. <laughs> it is 1207. <laughs> how many dice is too many dice? That's why I rolled these. It is 1207 p.m. uh Eastern <laughs> Standard time? We're in standard time right now, right? Yeah. Um, I just call it time zone. There's no, there's no standard. There's no daylight savings. Yeah. Fuck those railroad barons and whoever yeah. the hell gave us standard time. Destandardized time in abolish clocks. That's my statement for the week. Um, I've been Adam Bell. I think we're wrapping up the show. Uh, yeah. Get my games at adamybell.games. Uh, go to those uh, the stuff I mentioned at the top of the show to donate some money to the uh, yes, disaster please. relief over in Malaysia and the Philippines uh, because uh, climate change is a whole situation and it's got to keep being bad and we should help the people you know that are being affected by it today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do that. Follow us on here. Subscribe to us on here, especially if you've got. Uh, Amazon Prime, you could do that 
at no cost to yourself. You could take a couple bucks out of Jeffrey's pocket uh, and hand yep. it to us. <laughs> Please. Um, and then I follow want Jeffy's us, money. Follow the show over on Twitter at Tabletop Colin. Jeremy, why don't you say goodbye to the people? I've been wait ASMR version. Mm. I've been Jeremy Gage, and I want to thank you for coming to the Tabletop Colin show. Please go donate. Do this is the worst. This why is this bad? Do you not like this? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> You can find me at JeremyH5 over on Twitter. <laughs> you can listen to the Draw Your Dice pod. Did you increase my gain? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't touch it. <laughs> it was, you were close to clipping the whole time, so I didn't need to. <laughs> Perfect ASMR. Uh, and uh, please, 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 please go donate. Um, anything, uh, even even a dollar would be helpful to those in need, which is, you know, something we should be thinking about and uh if you do have the ability to amazon gift sub us or whatever like give us jeffy's money i want all of jeffy's money give me, give so that i can redirect money. it into helpful things yeah we'll eventually figure out how to do twitch shit and add some fun emotes maybe a weasel in the chat yeah uh eventually <laughs> yeah that's it yeah. i'm taking us away Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. See you next week. The show is over.